0: measurements for the guy who's doing the kids are still alive. <laughs> yep, yeah, one of those. Uh-huh. I know about those. <laughs> control. I had to give him a square foot. You know, so I look really better in the morning. But how's all the coming? into place? We will see. I can only As long as you can get too. the couple there and like that's the funny. rabbi, you're set. Maybe and, a minion. Really, everything happy. else is great. As long as the caller's happy. Daddy, la-la land. Good. And mm-hmm. that's good. good. It's all good? It's all good. It's <laughs> so speaking of good, okay, sorry. <laughs> I left my paper in the car. Do you need a piece of paper? No, I just left that paper that we just worked Oh, that one? On. I don't, don't we didn't enough. finish the last one? I don't know. Did I forget to finish? Forget Let's enough. see. I think we did. Um, okay, thank you so much. Yeah, no, I think we did. We did finish it last time. We did that, that Kuzari, which I love. Okay, and we didn't do all the words on it, but we covered quite a lot of it by skipping around. All right. So, <clears throat> that was, we talked about the word shema. Sorry. Um, really, I should stick this in at the end of this year. But, let's say, talking about the word shema there for a second. I heard something really interesting on my way to school today. That's why it's on the back of a paper that I've already repurposed once with a note. It's like another note because I've run out. I need to get some more post it's for the car. I have like my special car post it's and they ran out. Um, I heard a shear from Rabbi Tatz about Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. And it's called Hanukkah and the Oral Law. It's, a, it's a great shear, uh, as are all of his. Um, but he made such an interesting point. So he was talking about how Hanukkah is placed at the junction of the era of Torah Shabal and the era of Torah Shabikhtav, meaning you had a time with prophets. That's the era of Torah Shabikhtav, from the time of like Avram Avinu, basically up till the time of the Anche Knesset HaGadola, right? The Anshei Knesset Got rid of that was after the first destruction at the beginning of the Second Temple era, they got rid of the Yitzhara for Avodah right? This fiery lion came flaming out of the Holy of Holies, and at the same time, the as the intensity of drive for Avodah was lost, also the intensity that led to a person being at the level of Nebuah was lost. And we lost Nebuah. That was the end of the time of the Neviah. Which means that it was the end of the time where there were people who would transmit exactly the words that God told them. Okay, just as the Torah itself is the word of God. So even after when the Torah is received, that's it, it's a complete package. But after that, there was still people who could tell you, yes, looking through the lens of their own eyes and their own personality of understanding what Hashem had shown them, but they had clear and direct and even verbal communication from Hashem, here's what you're supposed to tell people, and they would tell it. So that was right, and anything else was wrong. And you didn't have differences of opinion in halacha, because if you did, you always resolved them. So in the time of Boaz, right, they resolved that Moavi moavi, Moavia, and Amoni and Amonis because they had a difference of opinion and they were able to resolve it based on Mesorah, based on whatever. Right? He said, I have a Mesorah from the base Medrash of Shmuel Navi. Okay. Eventually, you get past Mordechai and Esther. Mordechai himself was a Navi. Esther was a Navia. You get to the Anshei Knesset You get a cancellationing, a cancellationing. Sorry <laughs> cancellation of that Gazaharaavavotaizara and you get a, a muting of Nivua. Now what do you have? You go into a period where the oral torah now is ascendant, let's say it's a, the The written Torah is the written Torah and it's still there and it's still the basis of everything. But you have the oral Torah, which also was always there and was given to Moshe at Har Sinai. But that now takes a a more prime place in the study and understanding of Hashem's will. (coughs) So you have Shimon HaTzadik, who was, the rem, of the remnants of the Antje Knesset right? He was the last of the Antje Knesset Shimon HaTzadik introduces the era of the Greeks, the Syrian Greeks. He met Alexander the Great, right? Now, Alexander, I know, we, we talked about this like a year or two ago, Hanukkah time. He, Alexander the Great, falls down from his horse. He bows down to him. Everyone's all surprised because that wasn't how they thought this confrontation was gonna end. And he says, no, this is the face that I see in my dreams any night before a battle I win. I see his face, right? So. Shimon Zadik also was probably surprised. That was not necessarily the outcome he was expecting when he gathered everyone up together, this whole entourage, and they went to meet Alexander the Great as he entered the country and say, please don't destroy the country. Remember this whole story? There were the, the, um, who were they? There were the people, like the Shomronim, the people who had come, whom Nebuchadnezzar had transferred into the country when he took Jews out of the country. He always would move people around. That way you don't have to actually keep an army there to hold them down. They're all newcomers and they're all learning their way around and by the time they figured out, they're settled down. So the people that he had brought in were trying to get Alexander the Great to destroy, they were still there. There's still a few remaining, even today, like a few, a couple hundred, um, trying to get Alexander the Great to destroy the base on Mikdash, the second one that they had just managed to build. So Shimon came to ask him not to and and they had the surprise outcome. So that's the beginning of the Syrian-Greek occupation of Israel. What are they called, the few hundred who are there now? They're called Shomronim, Samaritans. Wow. They live in the hills of Shomron, near Shechem. Hmm. Um, they claim to be descended from Ephraim, hmm. for whatever reason. I guess because they want to fit in. They converted in the time of the Second Temple period. They converted to Judaism. But, they converted before, they converted after, but it seems like during at least the beginning of the Second Temple period they were allowed to marry in with Jews. <coughs> Until it became clear Oh, thank you. <coughs> Until it became clear that they were still worshipping they still had involved some sort of worship of a bird that was a remnant of their original religion. And that was it. But it's bizarre. Like they, they also they have only Torah Shibiktav. They don't So, so they so they hang fruit it? all over the ceiling of the sukkah. So, <coughs> are they the ones that wear Tfilin all the time? No, that's Jews. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. You know tongue. I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm, the, you know I'm the about? ones who are even against uh, against Zionism, right? No. No. There's oh, that's a different one. No, they don't. No. I, I doubt that they there have any semblance of Tfilin we would recognize because yes, they deny. I've seen them. They take everything very literally. They take the oral... Torah completely, literally, and they walk around literally <coughs> with their tefillah. You really between meant to their wear it? Oh, between even their eyes, I don't know. I wearing, so they don't wear it in the... Probab- maybe, it's a do- maybe you're thinking of... Um, oh, is it tzedokim? Uh, Kiraim. Oh, yeah, yeah. Karaites. Karaites do strange things like <coughs> Sorry? The karaites exist even today? I met one. He yeah. offered me a cup of tea. That was awkward. I was like, mm-hmm. no, thanks, it's okay, I was just <laughs> looking at your bizarre mezuzah, but I'll <laughs> move along. <laughs> like, like <laughs> there's so a Rehov HaKrayim, there's a kar- she just brought me something, there's a Karite, sorry, I to blow my nose. There's a Karite street in the old city in Jerusalem, uh-huh. it's just facing mm-hmm. the Tiferes Yisrael Shoal, which is a, it's actually a destroyed shoal at the moment. Um, so I was, I was there with my kids, and it was Rehov HaKrayim, and I kind of remembered that there was a Karite house right there, so I was just, looking, and it's just exactly there. <laughs> you can tell because, <laughs> aside from being on Karite Street, um, Jerusalem at one point was majority Karite. <laughs> there was, there's on the gate, there's like a gateway to like the Khatzer, to the courtyard of this house, and the gateway has like a sort of a Ten Commandments shape, like on the gate. And where is this Old City of Jerusalem. Oh my God. <laughs> East or West Jerusalem? It's at, so in, in the in Jewish west, quarter. In the Jewish, the Jewish quarter. quarter. Even. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and there's uh, that's I'm saying that it used wow. to be a majority Karaites. Karaites are Jews, at least they were. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly what, what are where now. you get to now, but in the times of the Rambam, let's say there was a certain amount of marriage back and forth. People move, could move back and forth between those things. Um, so they had they didn't have a mezuzah as we know it. Right. But the Torah says you should put these words on your gates. So what do they paint? <laughs> it was like worked into the metal work a metal looked like two tablets of with the ten commandments on it i guess i don't know <coughs> whatever word someone was inspired to think it might refer to because they just do whatever they think it means right with so. intentional non-reference too but wearing tefillin all the time is in fact the way the mitzvah is meant sure, to be i want to make sure I have you, <coughs> you said so at this point the oral torah is now ascended it's I ascended sure it that becomes that the main okay. way of our relating to torah in terms of understanding better what Hashem wants. I mean, I have the information from before, but let's say I have a new question. It used to be you went to a Navi. Right. You go to a Navi and find the answer to the question. And <coughs> now, the oral Torah was not to written down until It wasn't like, written down until much later than that. After yeah, the time of Hashem, hundreds of years later. So it's still being brought out Shabal Peh, but it's um, in a different way because... It was being learned, but then it would be recorded once you got to the time of writing it down. So then they start writing down what the conclusions are, right, as you go along. Okay. I, I'm just curious, yeah. really, back to the Navi, um, Navuwa versus Abodazora. Like, they they can't, you can't have a time with... It's like a power. It's so it's an That's, extra power and... Um, sensitivity to, to deep spirituality. You can't have one without... Yeah. To the it. extent that the Antikyamasa Sagadola were were so pleased with that result, they said, let's get rid of the Yitzhahara completely. Right? Uh-huh. Like, if you could... Right. You could that save arrived. the world, right? right. That's like so they did. I mean, Hashem and for several the days, days for our, there was no procreation among animal right. or human. Oh, like there was no, no eggs were laid even by the chickens. Like to that extent, there was a, like all. The world just started to wind down. <laughs> and they realized. This like They're crazy. It was like, oh, now what you, the world itself requires this, yes, right? Exactly. So that's that's we've talked about that in terms of the yeah. word "call" and what appears to be good and bad. That's the Itsahara That's death. All these things that we think of as bad are an essential part of the finiteness of this world, which is also the context in which we can grow and change and serve Him. Okay, so this was the point I was getting to. No, no, it's great. Torah Shabal Peh is really the Torah is all one thing. It's really just one Torah. And yet we could say there's a Torah Shabikhtav and a Torah Shabal Peh. They're really both the same thing, intertwined. There's like the oral part and the written down oral part it's all words right but the nature of Torah Shabbat Peh you know how sometimes we think about things as top down and sometimes bottom up right even on our chart like when we look at our four world chart we could be thinking about the flow of divine influence from on high and down to this world from Atsilas down to Asiya, or we can be thinking about the effort that people put in, the Isarusa de la Sata, which is the arousal from below, then that's when we put in an effort and it has an impact on high. There's some of that going on here when we talk about Torah Shabbat versus Torah Shabbat. Peh. Okay, Torah Shebaal Peh, especially now, when we're gonna move into the phase of post Nivua times, Shevar HaTzadik, the beginning of the Hanukkah story, where you're talking about bottom-up. It's very much a reflection of the avoda of human beings, of Jewish human beings, in transmitting the word of God, versus Torah of which is top-down. Bottom-up means it is not characterized by the yichud, by the achdus of top-down. Anything that is Spiritually sourced has at its core unity, oneness, because it's coming from God directly, and God is one. Hashem alkeinu, Hashem echad. An amazing case of that was in last week's parsha. Yaakov says to his brother, "Yeshli kol," I have everything, and Esau says, "Yeshli rov," I have a lot, I have lots. Rov is ribui, multiplication. Hey, there's a lot of things we could learn about that. Okay, so I won't give that sheer today. But among other things, I saw from Revolbi. he points out Yishili Rov. he's looking at it purely materialistically. It's a lot, it's multiplying. It's the opposite of the central unified oneness of spirituality. It's the characteristic of physicality, seeking to multiply, to be more, lots and lots. They're not necessarily combined or unified in any sort of way. Whereas Yaakov describes what he has as call, all. It's, it's this one oneness. <clears throat> the same thing you could say with Torah Shabal Peh. What's characteristic of it is an aspect of multiplication and moreness. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of opinions, right? You never had that happen, because if two people had two different ideas, you resolved it in a Beisdin, in a Sanhedrin, or in the Great Sanhedrin. And it got resolved, and then everyone was on the same page again. And it's not, it's not even Shimon HaTzadik's time. It's after Shimon HaTzadik, and then Antignosi Soho, and then you have <coughs> Yossi Ben Yohezer, and Yossi Ben Yochanan, and I think that's where you have the first Mahlokas that was left unresolved. I think that's the first one. It's in the time of the Greek. Okay, this is, it, it all kind of patterns together. The Torah says, tabam. You should speak about them. Where does it say that? In Shema. Okay, them. It's talking about the Torah, right? It's Torah Shebichtav and Torah Shebapeh. We'll have a shear on that down the line, not so far away anymore. Okay, Torah, uh, Bays is for voracious. Mem is a Meimasai, the first word of Torah Shebichtav, the first word of Torah Shebapeh. But there's a really big question about Torah Shibtav. Right? Rashi has it. Why does the Torah start with a base? Rashi doesn't have that over there. Why does the Torah start with a base? Why doesn't it start with an aleph? Not only that, why does Torah start with the word baracious, which means in the beginning of, and it doesn't have, I forget the grammatical term for it, it doesn't have the word that should have been attached to it, like with a hyphen. So in other places in Torah it says racious darko, the beginning of his path. It's the beginning of. Uh, of what? The path. Ratios to Vuasa, the beginning of so Beratios. Right, but the construct of Ratios requires that it's actually connected to another word after it, it right. and it doesn't have it. The nismach, that's what's called in Hebrew, the nismach, the word that would have been attached to it, is missing. So Rashi means Beratios in the beginning of creation or it refers to, like right, you have to fit something in. So I said, when Moshe Eisenman asked an amazing question, he says, how come, why would the Torah start with a word that requires an explanation just to like work with the word? It could, you could have started with a non-difficult word. Mm-hmm. You could have just said Barishona, or had Barishas and then had the Nismach word. Just put the Nismach in. Why have it not there? He said, because from the first moment of your learning Torah, you need to know you need hmm. Torah Shbachtav and Torshabh. It you need both. This is how the Torah was given to us. Okay, so that's one aspect of the Torah starting with the letter Bays. It is the distillation, the, the the distillation is the correct word in a literal sense where all of a sudden the moisture, you know, kind of turns, comes out of the air and just becomes little dewdrops, right? When it's the condensation of God's word in this world, right? There's uh, the the Kabbalists talk about all different combinations of letters that can exist from Torah, but this world is expressed through the condensation of the, all the letters in this form and in this order and with these word breaks. So in this world, the Torah was given to us, Torah Shavertav, with a Torah Shavalpe, and you shouldn't think that you could learn one without the other. So it starts with the letter B's, which is multiplication, right? Okay. When we talk about Shma and hearing, a Navi is not called a listener. A Navi is called a seer. Now Navi means to, to mm-hmm. express with lips because he speaks it out. But he's also called a roe or a Jose, a seer or one who has the vision. Okay, why? Because he sees the truth. Now what happens when you see the picture? When you see a whole picture, you see like a whole thing at once. You can take in, when you listen, the way it works with words, when you listen, you hear it in order. So you have to kind of put your brain in suspended mode for a second or a minute, and you take in word after word after word, and then as you work your way down the sentence, you can put together the concept that was being related. Whereas if somebody shares with you a picture, you can take in a whole mm-hmm. and then you can kind of look at what the details were more if you want to. With the era of Nivua, there was an era of seeing. At the moment that that ended, the transition person's name is Shimon, which is lishmoa to hear, because now we move Tarshabal pe. We move to a phase where you gotta listen for it. And you're gonna get pieces here and there. It's, it's piecemeal. It's one word after the other, and then you have to work to put it all together to try and get a sense of that big picture that you could have seen in one snapshot. So Shimon means listen? It's the word Shema. Shimon is from the word Shema, the yeah, one who listens. So this, this is characteristic of this era of Torah Shabal Peh. It's an effort of listening, of hearing, of putting yourself to try and understand what is Hashem telling me in a way where it is that I will get it a piece at a time. I'm going to have this piece and I'm going to have another piece and I'm going to have another piece and Rabbi akiva says this and Rabbi Yehuda says this B'Shem Rav, and then I'm going to look over here and there's going to be Rabbi Eliezer said another thing and I'm going to have to take all these pieces and one by one just absorb them and hold them until the whole picture will become clearer to me. Okay, that is the nature. So I just I hap, he happened to be giving this year, happened awesome. Hanukkah, and I was like, oh, that's so helpful though. And also this concept of the avoda of Shema, because Shema is at the level of Bria, right, of Malachim, which is that level where Hashem's unified will starts to become multiplied into creation, into physical reality. Right? It's the it's the place of tunis. It's him and me. It's intimate. Mm-hmm. Right, it's me and God. It's not only God. That that comes later. It's the phase, the stage, the relationship, the fact that there is a relationship going on in Shema means there's two of us here. I mean, you don't have a relationship of one, right? If a relationship is two. So this this whole concept of the love and of the of the Torah that's going on over here with Shema. That It just kind of like opened the door, another, it was another piece to the sense of Shema, this understanding that that's, it's a way of, of listening out for the message and being able to hold it as one by one the pieces come in so that I can make sense. It's so beautiful because it really shows that for any relationship you need to continually work at it and the way we can work at it is just by learning and learning oh and learning. Goodness. Yeah. Robin Goldberg years ago, years ago, like, 26 years yeah. ago or more. Because <laughs> right? I think it was, blog. I'm trying to think if it was before Basia was born or right after. So, like, she gave this wonderful share, and she said, I think she told me more recently that she had heard this idea from Sipora Heller, that understanding, I think she was talking specifically about your husband, but it applies to anyone that you have a relationship with. It's like reading a learning from a book and there's always another chapter to learn right. like that's it's what you were exactly saying that, like this kind things. of like we always need another We got to keep on listening keep on learning the people around us and that is how you build a relationship and in Shema that's that's what we're being told and that's what we're telling ourselves we say Shema Israel, right we're telling ourselves like keep learning keep delving learn Torah it, it's exactly that it, that's your relationship to God he's talking to you so you want to listen that's when when people even go to a a Rav to ask like they need help with a relationship with their marriage or with their children they have I have to keep working to have a connection with God so here you know here we have like a Torah to guide us you know so but it's okay that we need Torah Shabal Pet to do that like that's more than okay yeah like you have to go ask Really, very, this is pretty um, awesome okay so with that, with that which was, could have been I guess after could have been before right and that's the nature of Hanukkah as a post Navua holiday okay Shema Yisrael this is from the Madrash Rabbah Mehechan Yisrael we've seen this idea before but this is a slightly different telling of it from where did the Jewish people merit to say Shema Misha, Shanata Yaakov Lamita. From the time that Yaakov took to his bed, meaning his deathbed, Kar V he called to all his sons, the tribes, and he said to them, "Shema Mishani Mishani Atem He said, "I'm a little concerned. What happens if after I die somebody goes off the derech?" I don't know if Davka thought it was them themselves, their children, maybe right. By the way, like, you think, like, okay, you know, parents, maybe it's neurotic, but, like, if you look at the situation, one of his children is Levi. Okay, Levi has a daughter named Yochaved. Yochaved has a kid named Moshe. That means that in Yochaved's lifetime, really even in Levi's lifetime, because he was the last of the tribes to die, he lived to see Kla Yisrael become almost unrecognizable from the Egyptians. They were a different race. They were a different people. They knew they were connected to each other. But in terms of their behavior, they were almost unrecognizable. Right? When we crossed the Yamsuf, the Malachim were puzzled and said to Hashem, Sorry. You're saving those group over there and you're drowning this group? They said, both of these are idol-worshipping people. They don't look that different. Why are you saving them and not saving them? Okay, that's the state. Levy lived probably in his lifetime to more or less see that degree of fall. I can't even imagine how horrible that was. Okay, so whatever Yaakov was, it was not crazy neurotic. The fear that the grandchildren might Like apparently it was true. Okay, so he says perhaps somebody's going to like worship another god. Minayan. how do you know he was worried about that? Because the Torah says he vishimu Yaakov, gather together and listen, children of Yaakov. Okay, so what Yaakov said is please listen. Mahu vishimu? What does it mean? Shimu, listen. El yisrael listen to your father. Okay, I think you could you could make a nice sort of Hasidish style word and say Shimu. Do the action of Shema. Right, because Shimu means you should Shema, which means to hear, but it also could mean Shema. To like say Shema, as a way of thinking about it afterward. That's not. I'm not saying that's shot in the puzzle. Okay, so listen to Yisroel your father. Amr Lahem he said to them, El Yisroel Avichem, listen to Yisroel your father. And they said to him, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Listen, Father. Listen, Yisrael. Yisrael means Yaakov. Hashem mm-hmm. Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Hashem our God, Hashem is one. And he said, And he whispered in response, which we'll talk about a little bit more a few weeks down, Blessed is Hashem's name forever and ever. I'm a Rabbi Levi. Rabbi Levi said, so what do the Jewish people say now? Which, isn't the question kind of striking? Like maybe Yaakov's still asking the question, so what's our answer now? If Yaakov's saying, what's going to be with my children when I go? So at the time they said, We've only got one God, right? What do we say to him now? Shma avinu Yisrael. Oso adavr shatzi visanu. Listen. Listen, Yisrael. I know you're not here. You passed away. But wherever you are, we hope you can hear us. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. It's no igvanu. It's still true for us. After all these years, we want you to hear us. Don't worry. Don't worry up there. We're still good. We're still hanging on. We still know Hashem is the only God. Just like... Also, like an amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When it comes to the words Hashem Elokeinu, which are <laughs> really the core of everything that we're talking about over here, what I don't want to do is repeat all that we said about Hashem Elokeinu and Brajos. Because we really said that, even if it's not the same people, but we really said that in this year, and they're all online. It's all online. Okay. So I'm not repeating it. What I'm going to do is just say a very small amount on top of it that's particularly related to Shema. First of all, Hashem. In Torah, generally, you can assume it's referring to Midas HaRachamim. A name, the Shloth says a name, a shame. Right, shame is the root word of neshama. A name is the combination of letters that expresses the spiritual roots of a person. The name of a thing is the combination of holy letters that expresses the spiritual roots of the (coughs) thing. So then what's a name of God? (laughs) Okay, this is not the first time we're covering this topic so I'm not gonna expound over there, but what does it mean then to say a name of God? Because Hashem is, just one Hashem it's all one so a name of Hashem first of all is only something He has revealed to us a name of Hashem means a description of an aspect of His interaction with us as we experience it okay Because the Torah is Hashem telling us things in terms that we can make some sense of. So when Hashem uses a different name for himself, it means I'm telling you how I'm interacting with you now, how you will experience me interacting with you now. I'm telling you how you will experience my interaction with you now. In Shema, though, we have to tell ourselves and remind ourselves, Hashem Hashem Echad. Hashem is not changing. It's not that sometimes it's and sometimes it's or, right? Hashem is literally unchanging at all times. The question is, which, which polarizing glass, which windows are there going on here between him and me that affect the color of the light as it comes through to me? So the light that he emits as a Marshall, right, is always the same. Right? If you imagine white light, like sunlight, it's not perfectly white, it's kind of yellow, but fairly white light has all these different wavelengths of light within it, right? The white is a mix of all the colors, right? But depending on what color filter of glass you put through, you might only, only some portion of it might come through. So you see blue light, but the source light was actually white. Okay, you see blue. Why? Because like red and yellow and orange and purple all got reflected away and blocked by this screen. So the shame, the, the, the blue, right, is describing the aspect of the light that you were able to experience based on whatever factors happened between the light and you, okay? That's what a name of God tells you, how we experience his interaction with us. Hashem Elokeinu, though, Hashem is echad. He is not changing. We are. And it's important for us to know that because that, that is the, you, you know, you kind of have to, like, dig past all that at some point and be able to know that you're rooted. You're rooted. You have an Heshamah, and you are rooted in godliness in there. And that is unchanging. So that's the source of being a steady, solid person is knowing that your life is rooted in something that is true and always, right? That's the Kelmelech and the MS at the end. All right? So the name Yud and He and Vav and He is often pronounced typically, but not always, as Adonai. That's not actually how we're pronouncing it. It's just what we're saying. <laughs> That's a different name of God. We don't say yod and hey and vav and hay because we A, make fool of ourselves and B, like, I don't know, horrible. We're, we can't tolerate that amount of light. We need sunglasses on. So there's two things that are going on then. One is I'm recognizing Hashem is haya, hove, and yehiyyeh. That's something that's expressed in the yod and hei and vav and hay. It's that combination of all, it's a constantly in the moment present, knowing that that constant in the moment presence always was and always will be. That's God who's there. He's the loving creator of the universe. But when I say that is a concept that's like so big, I cannot actually absorb it. Therefore, what I say is Adonai. He is my Adon. He's my master. That's pretty personal. That I could relate to. Okay. So ideally, this is what Rav Schwab says, but it's not novel to him. What you're supposed to think when you say the name of Hashem in Shema, is you're supposed to think of both of those. That's hard. By the way, it takes practice. It's not impossible, It's not, but you have to practice it. So the first bunch of times, it is actually very difficult to work on thinking about two things at once, okay? That Hashem always was, always is, always will be. He, he is the loving creator of the universe and at the same time to express the words out of my mouth, he is my personal master. That God is my personal master. Right. That expresses itself in that overall concept of Shema, which is Kabbalah malchus shamayim. God is my personal master. God is the king and I welcome being his subject. I wish to do whatever it is he wants me to do And just as I have always lived with Hashem Elokeinu, I will die with Hashem Elokeinu. I know that life is finite anyway. So the main thing is that it should be lived with God. That's the main thing. However long or however short, that's the main thing. This seems to be why, if that's the essence of my existence, is living with Hashem. That's the essence of it. If that's always the main mission that drives everything else that I do, then, whatever happens to me, I'm, I'm rooted in that solid truth, that unchanging solid truth. So, number one, it gives me a rootedness that is complete. And number two, it explains why people say this before they die. Yaakov might have said something like this before he died. Why, why it's customary to say Shema with somebody before they pass away. Why people who are killed will be saying Shema Yisrael Hashem, Hashem Achad. Why? Because that's, in the end, like that's the life that you want and that you're aiming for that that is the rootedness of your life and in the big scheme of your bigger life whether this was a short or a long amount of time is not super super big deal it's a big deal only in what you would have accomplished sort of like when you wake up you can't really tell how long the dream was right of course you don't like it if there's a nightmare you want to wake someone up Like you feel, you don't want them to keep on suffering, because the nightmare is real suffering, even if it's only a dream. But it's real in that moment. We live in a sort of a dream world, but it's real for us in the moment, right? We don't want, you know, we're not looking for something to be bad for us, or hard, or difficult, or stressful, or scary. But in the end, there is a bigger life than that. There's a bigger life than the nightmare. Like people, you know, you wake up from dreams, and there's good dreams, and that, in the end, like, you wake up and, and that kind of fades away, and what really matters is the life you're in. Okay. So, Rav Schwab says, we want to hold in our minds. Hashem is mehavekol ha He makes all existence exist. And we accept, in saying Hashem Elokeinu, He's our God. That's the acceptance of that on ourselves, and with all the implications, including the firmness that that implies. Rabbi Akiva, right? When Rabbi Akiva died, so he was tortured to death. He didn't just die. He didn't just die. Al kiddush Hashem, right? He was tortured to death. Al kiddush Hashem. And his students witnessed it, and they were crying because it was horrible thing to see. And they heated iron combs, and they raked his skin with those iron combs, and they would then douse his skin with wet cotton or wool to try and cool it back down again so they could keep him alive longer, so they could do it for longer and suffer more. It was, it was terrible death. And his Talmudim saw that he was smiling. And they said, Rebbe, Rebbe, like even, like even the, like how much could you manage? And he said, all my life I wondered, right, Rebbe, Rebbe Goldberg brought this, he brought this Sefer Yashar, but he didn't bring this passage. All my life I wondered, would I be Zoha to fulfill when the Torah says, that you should, serve, you should love Hashem with all your soul even if He takes away your soul. And here, here I am. So that's why he's smiling. It means, the Savior says, that he thought about that his whole life. He thought about what would happen if? How would I handle that? Right, that's kabel of shemaim. That's why we really, when we say shema, it's considered. We saw the harim. It's like you brought yourself as a full carbon, an actual carbon on the mizbeach, like it's for real. It, it's just as for real or almost as for real, right? Without dying, as with dying, because that's the preparation of it. That's the because it's not about the dying. It's about the living. How do we know that? Because the first time a person was asked to give themselves up for Hashem as a carbon was Yitzchak. And then he got up and went on living. Okay? But Is there a question the about that, though? Is there a question about that? Not that I'm aware No, Somebody told me that he really did die, but that... He died and was revived, you yeah. said. Yeah, but that's not a question. I'm saying either way he got up and went on living. Yeah. Right? That's true. right? Yeah. Let's reverse that. He says... What we see from this is that we are his descendants and we are expected to continue serving Hashem by being willing to give up our lives. But most of the time he doesn't want us to actually give them up. He wants us to keep living. So why would you, then what's the point of giving up your life every day in Shema? So the way Rav Noach Weinberg puts it is, if you don't know what what you would die for, how do you know what you would live for? Like what do you... (laughs) You have to have some concept of what is the purpose of your life and the priorities and what is the main thing. There are things. I was once at Rovbelsky, not Rovio Rovbelsky, Rovbelsky in Jerusalem. Where is that his house? It? Sorry. Hillo Rovbelsky. Yeah. He rents a terrace. Yeah. Is that no, oh, no, no, not, 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 not him. No, 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 no his uncle. And, oh, his uncle. Yeah, I think sorry. it's his uncle. Yeah. Mm. Um, his uncle. He lives in Siretsky Nine. So I was at their house for Shabbos lunch with my, like some of my little kids when my husband was away. So he asked the question, um, why are things y'harig vel yavor? Why are there three, three things that, rather than violate them, you should die, okay? And more, uh, adultery and murder and avodah zarah. So the answer is because it's, it's not worth, meaning in most cases we say better a person should keep living and do more mitzvahs, right? Violate one Shabbos, you save the person. Save the person's life by violating Shabbos. But there'll be a whole bunch more Shabbos as he could keep now. Okay, that's part of the logic of it. It's not it's not really the reason for the halacha, but it's part of the logic that the Gemara says. But when it comes to and Gili Arayos, it's not better to keep on living. Why? How could you Because you understand that like the whole purpose of being here at all is that closeness and that loyalty to the ribona which is expressed also in how we're close to other people and is expressed also in recognizing it's solemn in another person mm-hmm. that you have to know what you would die for to understand what you're living for that's really this piece of shema so emir Shem, hashem sorry we got we like took a bit of time on hanukkah but it's so close to hanukkah that i didn't, didn't want to resist adding in a piece about Hanukkah and a new concept of Shema. And next week, we'll talk a little bit about the Hashem Echad and the concept of the Echad. Wait, we still school next week. Yeah, okay. Anyway. So, good to see you guys. Mm-hmm.